But today, before we do the baptisms, I want to share what the Bible has to say about the gospel. How many of you have heard the word gospel before in your life? In any kind of a context. Okay? The word gospel is a common phrase found in the English New Testament of the Bible. Uh, it has been used by churchgoers for centuries. And it is even used by unbelievers today in the secular world. And though this word is obviously familiar to all of us and to many people, a lot of people know or have heard the word the gospel before, it's been my experience that very few actually understand what the gospel is. We throw that word around, but do we really know what we mean when we say gospel? And so today I want to hopefully give you a better understanding of what gospel means and what it means to us as believers. So what do we mean when we say the words gospel? Let me explain. Um, first of all, if you look at the Bible, you're going to find gospel throughout the New Testament. Many different places where that word in the English translation shows up. One example is Mark chapter 16, verse 15, where believers are told to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That sounds like a pretty serious command, doesn't it? Go out into the whole world, to all of creation, and proclaim the gospel. So what does that mean? Do we just go out and say, gospel, gospel, gospel? No, we're not to just parrot the word gospel, but there's a meaning behind gospel. And the way that we find meanings is you look, first you look into how it's used in the Bible. You look at the meaning of the actual word that's used. Um, the, the New Testament, all of the New Testament, the original writers wrote in the Greek language. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret, and maybe you didn't know this, maybe you did. But I don't know the Greek language. I know some of the elements of the Greek language. I have gone to Bible school. We have learned of, about some of the, the way that language is used. But I would not anywhere near consider myself to be a Greek scholar. And if you're in the same boat, if you're sitting there this morning and you don't really know the Greek language like me, I want to encourage you, there are so many tools available to us today to where you can get an idea or insight into the different words that are used in the New Testament. For example, I use a software program called Logos, Bible software. And it's, it's awesome. You can have uh, various versions of the New Testament, and you can take your, your uh, mouse pointer, and you can go over the words, and it'll actually give you the Greek word that was used. And it'll give you a basic definition and other places in the Bible where that exact Greek word was used. So I'm letting you in on a little trade secret here. I am not a special high and mighty scholar, Greek scholar. I'm, I'm simply a man who knows how to use the tools. And so if you're ever interested in things like that, I'd encourage you to talk to me and I'd be happy to show you how that works because that's what I use. And so when we look at the word gospel as it is used through the New Testament, the Greek word that is used uh, to translate into the English gospel is euangelion which is also where we get the word evangelism. This word literally means good news. 
So euangelion in the Greek means good news. So based on Mark 16:15, which we have up here, and other similar passages where it's used, followers of Jesus Christ are called to go out into the world and to proclaim the euangelion, or the good news, or the gospel to the world. And so that's why you've probably heard the word evangelist or evangelism. And that simply identifies those who do go out into the world and share that good news. So when or what then is the content of the good news we're supposed to share? We don't just go out into the world and say gospel, gospel, gospel. And we also don't just go out into the world and say good news, good news, good news. I'm an evangelist. But no, there's actual content to that news. We don't go out into the world and just say, hey, guess what? It's buy one, get one free tacos at Taco Bell this week. That's good news, but that's not what the Bible's talking about. So, what is the Bible talking about when it says good news? Now, unfortunately, before we get into the good news or the content that we're supposed to share, let's start with the bad news. I'm one of those kind of guys when they're like, do you want the good news first or the bad news first? I like to start with the bad news, so that way we, I hear the good news last. And it, it, it's not so devastating, because I, I'd rather go from bad news and then a, an upper with the good news than the good news and then huh, a downer with the bad news. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to start with the bad news first, then go to the good news. But first, let's pray together and we'll look at the Word of God. Father, thank you for this precious time we have together. We all know that life is but a vapor. It's fleeting. It's short. We look at our kids. We've seen how fast they grow. People say that they grow up so fast. And as a young father, I believe it. I've seen it with my eyes. And life truly is short. We have seen people come and go in this life. And Father... I pray that we'll appreciate this time we get to spend together here and now, that it won't be counted as a waste of time, but as a blessing and as valuable, that all of us will be glad that we're here this morning together. And as we leave here, we'll appreciate your word that was given to us, the celebration and the joy found in people giving their life to you. God, that you would fill each one of our hearts with hope and joy as we study the good news, your gospel, as we study what Jesus Christ has done for us, for the world. And so, Lord, touch every heart and mind this morning. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. The bad news. The bottom line is, we as human beings have a sin problem. We have a sin and death problem. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many people have sinned and fall short? All. Every single person has fallen short of God's perfect holy standard that the creator of the universe has set. It's been this way from the beginning, which is why the psalmist in the Old Testament wrote... Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. 
The psalmist understood that as we enter into this world that our proclivity is always towards sin. That when given the free will choice, that mankind will always choose sin. Every single one of us. And according to the Bible, the first created man and woman were Adam and Eve. And they were made to live in a perfect paradise forever with God. And one key element of this place that God had made of paradise called Eden was the fact that God gave mankind a rule to follow. He put them in this paradise, not in total anarchy, not in absolute uh, free will, but there was one boundary, one restriction. They can eat from this tree. They could eat from that tree. They could wander here. They could wander there. But they were not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the rule that God put in place. And by putting that rule in place, and by giving mankind free will to either obey or to disobey, God left the door open for disobedience. And so, Adam and Eve, in their free will... They were deceived by the serpent. You all know the story. You probably heard it when you were kids. The serpent came and contradicted God's word to them. And he said, no, you, you will not surely die like he said you would if you eat from this tree. But instead, you'll, you'll have the knowledge of God. You'll be like God. So defy God, eat from this tree, and be like him. Be a God yourself. And... This enticed Eve and it enticed Adam through Eve. And both Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God and they ate from the tree. And they did this all by their free will. Nobody forced it into their mouth. But they reached out as they saw that it was good and enticing and they grabbed it and they ate it. And they chose to break the one rule and sin against God thereby receiving the penalty that God promised, which was death and separation from Him. We too, all of us, have free will to choose to obey the God who made us or to disobey and to rebel. And unfortunately, it's in our DNA to do exactly what Adam and Eve did. We are all offspring of Adam and Eve, the first man and woman. We're just like them. And if you think that you're not like them, try to go one week perfectly obeying God's word. How many of you can do that? I don't think we could go one day without perfectly doing that. Because ultimately it is in our DNA to rebel against God if given the free will choice. So the bad news is that because of sin, we, mankind, has been kicked out of paradise and we're also facing the reality of death and decay. Anybody feeling decay in your body? If, if you're willing to admit it? Yeah, young, old, I mean, uh, so I'm in my 30s. I'm just about to breach my 40s here in the next couple of years. And I'm already feeling my body changing in negative ways. 
where I used to once be able to just run nonstop, go crazy. One of my favorite things to do was eat lots of burgers and then keep going and not feel weighed down. But these days, like with Settler's Day, you know, eating some good food and running around all day, doing VBS all, all week, man, I'm spent. My, my legs are tightening up. Uh, my body's starting to feel some pain. My gut is... Uh, <laughs> My gut is in trouble because of all the food. Um, it just, you can sense it. And I, I feel bad for even complaining about this because there's some older folks when I say, man, I'm starting to feel my body. And they're just like, just wait. Just wait. So, but we all recognize that there is something wrong. There is something wrong in this world. There is something that is broken and not right. I mean, you don't even have to turn on the news to recognize this truth. But there is just something not right. And we all long for something that's better or beyond this. We all hope for something that is pure and paradise. Because this certainly ain't it. I mean, anybody think this world is paradise? It's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Climb to the top of a mountain, look around at the landscape and what God has made, and it's beautiful and you rejoice, and you worship. But there is something fractured in this world, and something that is wrong. There's something fractured within us, and within our soul, and there is something that is wrong. And that something is the fact that we have sinned, all of us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And thereby we have incurred the punishment upon us. Sin, death, brokenness, separation from God. And so that's the bad news. That's our state. And what kind of preacher would I be if I just left you on that note? You're all sinners. Have a nice day. You're all broken. Have a nice day. No. God gives us the good news and he gives us the good news in his word, in his scripture. The good news starts with the fact that God himself is indeed good, gracious, merciful, kind, loving, and just. These are all the ways that I have seen and experienced that God is good. First of all, God is good. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So God is unchanging in his goodness. And though we choose sin and though we change, God remains the same. He is always good, he was always good, and he will always be good. Psalm 145.9 says, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. And this is why the scripture can say that even though we are faithless, he remains faithful because God remains the same. He is always good. We're the ones who change, not God. God is gracious, merciful, and kind. Have any of you here today experienced the grace of God in your life? Raise your hand if you have. Have any of you here in this room experienced the mercy of God? and the kindness of God. God expresses his goodness through these things. 
The Bible teaches that immediately after Adam and Eve sinned against God, immediately after when God was handing out his punishments to both the man, the woman, given unique punishments in this life, he also handed out a punishment to the serpent who deceived them. And in doing so, he left us with the opportunity for redemption. So his promise was, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. Now, did they die right away after they ate that tree? Did they just drop dead and that's it? Thrown into the lake of fire, eternal punishment, no chance of redemption? They still lived. They were kicked out of paradise. They entered into a fallen world where the realm of decay and ultimately death, eventual death, but they didn't die right away. God gave mankind a window, a period of time which we could be redeemed. Essentially, when we look through the Bible, when you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the prequel to the coming of Jesus Christ. So you know how they do movies these days where they come out with this great story and they have the protagonist, they have the antagonist, and then usually the, the protagonist wins out in the end. Great story, everybody loves it, everybody goes to the box office, it breaks records, uh, you stream it online from home and, and you enjoy this movie. But then it does so well at the box office that they make prequels and they tell you, well, what led up to this point? This great point that we all enjoyed. The Bible is very similar in that way, in that usually when people come to believe in Jesus Christ, that's where they start, with Jesus. Because they have some kind of experience with Jesus. They learn about what Jesus has done. They hear the words of Christ. Their hearts open up. They confess and believe in him, and they follow him. I mean, when Jesus asked the disciples to follow him, he didn't come and say, I need you to read the Old Testament and know it perfectly, and then come follow me. No, he walked along the shore and he said, you, come follow me and I will show you how to become fishers of men. They heard the words of Christ spoken, the words of life. They saw grace upon grace as they followed Christ, as they saw him casting out demons, working miracles, healing the sick and saving souls. They followed him and were amazed and when the crowds started to leave Jesus because of his difficult teachings, he turned to his disciples and he said, are, are you going to leave too? And they said, Master, you have the very words of life. Where else can we go? They saw the glory of Christ and they followed him. But just like some of those movies, you know, people start with the gospel and it would be a huge mistake to then throw out the Old Testament and say, well, that's just history, that's past. It doesn't matter, it doesn't contribute to the story. Jesus saved my soul. Now just tell me what I have to do as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. No, go back and read the prequel. Because the prequel tells us the story of after Adam and Eve fell, how God worked and brought about redemption for the whole world. And that story begins with his calling of specific people throughout redemptive history. He called, he spoke to, and he empowered specific people. And from those people, he created a nation of people that he would call his chosen people. 
and those people are Israel. And the reason he did that, the reason he established a people, who, by the way, were stiff-necked people, who constantly rebelled against God, who constantly turned their back from God, following idols, following their sin, who, but yet God remained faithful to, that he allowed them to go into captivity from the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and their enemies as they turned away from God. He allowed them to fall, but he never let them go. Through, through a remnant of Israelites, he kept his promise to his people. And the reason he did that was so that he could fulfill his promise to the world to bring about a Messiah or a Savior, one who would bring about salvation to the world. And so through his people, Jesus Christ was born. John 3.16, which many of you know, says, For, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But do you guys know the rest? Verses 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So God's grace, his mercy, his kindness has been shown throughout redemptive history leading up to Jesus Christ coming into the world. His grand story, Christ coming into the world, walking on the earth, teaching truth, showing light, and dying on the cross as an atonement for your sin and for mine thereby bringing a chance for redemption for all people. So we also know that God is good because he has demonstrated his loving kindness and his justice. God would not be good if he didn't keep all of his promises. Because if he didn't keep his promise, what would that make him? A liar. Is it good to be a liar? No. God is not a liar. He will keep his promise to redeem all those who believe in him, in his only begotten son, and he will also keep his promise to condemn to death those who reject his free offering of salvation through his son. Both of these promises he will keep. If he didn't keep both of these promises, he would not be good. But he is good. God will not allow evil to undermine his holiness and so therefore, that which remains, which is evil, which rejects God's free offering, will receive the penalty of death. This also means that in order for us to be pardoned from our sin, that we're all guilty of, that somebody has to pay the price. Somebody has to pay the price for our sin, lest God not be good. Now, Jesus Christ, when he came, he came to be more than just a moral teacher. Some people will come to you and say, uh, Jesus was just a really good teacher and he taught us how to live a good life. Yes, he did all that. He did give us morals and ethics, things to, uh, 
to consider as we live our life. Absolutely. In fact, even Muslims believe that Jesus was a great Razul or a great teacher who had great words or was a great speaker. But he was so much more than that. Jesus came to die on the cross as an atonement. He came to live a perfect life. Jesus, who knew no sin, he came to die on the cross, take our place, so that all who look upon him, all who come to him, all who follow him, will be saved. And so, we see that God's love was shown to us on the cross. You've heard many definitions of love before in your life, but Jesus gives us this definition of love, that no greater love has anyone but this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus showed us his love because he came to live and die for us, to take our place. This is love. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So Jesus laid down his life for us. So now that we've looked at that brief explanation of the gospel, I want you to really feel the gospel. It's one thing to know the gospel, but I want you to feel it in your soul, in your heart. And the best way I know how to do that is to read verbatim the very words of Christ himself as he spoke them to the people he was looking at and who were following him and who saw his glory. Jesus said to the people of his time, Come to me, all who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. So God's gospel call is going out even right here and now through his words. And he's calling on all of us. He's saying, come to me. He is beckoning, come. All who labor and are heavy laden. Is there anybody here today who is worn down from the labor of life, from the grind of life? Just your body, your soul, you are weary, you are tired. You are tired of the evil, you are tired of the lies, you are tired of the betrayal, you are tired of the disappointments the expectations that you set for yourself that fall short? Are you just tired in the depth of your soul? Are you heavy laden with all of the pressure and the burden that has been laid upon your shoulders? Do you feel like it's too much to bear and you just can't take it? Do you desire to be dead and gone because you can't take it? You find yourself in the still of night, just broken and crying out to the heavens, where are you? I need help. All you who labor and are heavy laden, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me.
God says this, not just in his words, but he is speaking this through creation as well. He is beckoning for you to come to him and he's trying to get your attention through creation. Anybody here like to go out on the lake? Like to go camping? Like to go hiking? Like to be out in nature? Like to spend time with with animals and the things that God has made? God is speaking to you and calling you from these things. That feeling that you get when you stand on the edge of the ocean and you take in that ocean breeze and you hear the, the sounds of the waves crashing on the shore and you take in the smells and you see the birds flying and the, the creatures on the ground, that feeling that you get, that is God reaching out for you and saying, come to me. Romans 1.20 says, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. God's gospel call exists in the things that we can see and sense and feel and touch. His gospel call is through Christ. We have a written record from four different authors from four different walks of life who saw what Jesus said and did. And they believed him. They believed it because they saw it with their own eyes. And they wrote it down so that you here today, 2,000 years later, could see, could hear, could know what Christ had done. You could hear his gospel call when he says, come to me. He also beckons us to come through the church. The rest of the New Testament, I talked about the prequel. I talked about when Christ came. The rest of the New Testament, all those letters, are about how God has established the church and the instructions he has given the church until he comes again. God has used the church to be his primary vessel of sharing the gospel, the good news of Christ, to the ends of the earth. And it's amazing to see how far the gospel has gone. I'm not sure if you've ever looked into this, the the different nations in the earth where churches have been planted, where the gospel is preached, where the Bible has been translated into someone's own native tongue. You think that English is the only translation of the Bible. Some people will say, well, the King James Version is the only version of the Bible worth reading. What about the tribes in Africa who are reading it in their own language? Is that not a valid version of the Bible? God is speaking to people in their own language. And he is using the church to do this. We are all here today as a result of God calling the world through the church. He is also calling the world through his spirit. God is spirit and his spirit moves across the world transmitting the gospel message and beckoning all to come. I'm not sure where you're at on the scale of believing in the supernatural or the spiritual. But I can tell you from my own experience that I believe it's absolutely true that God exists, that his spirit exists, that the supernatural realm, the world exists as the Bible says it does. Revelation 22:17 says the spirit and the bride or the church say come and let the one who hears say come and let the one who is thirsty come 
of the one who desires, take the water of life without a price. And that's the most important thing. Many people think it sounds too good to be true. That God is just offering salvation from our sin for free. We don't have to do anything. In fact, many people, when, when they're presented with the gospel, they have a desire to just start doing a bunch of charity work. That's not how it works. God wants you, right where you're at, in all of your brokenness, in all of your regret, in all of your ideas, to just be still and to just receive the gift he has for you. You don't have to fill out any paperwork. You don't have to do a bunch of work first. You simply, in your broken state, you reach out your hand, you grab his, and he pulls you out of the pit. That's how it works. And you simply have to receive it. That's the gospel. God has come to help the broken and the hurting. Jesus desires to seek and save the lost. And this is why he says in Mark 2.17, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. And this is why Jesus often spent time with tax collectors who were betrayers of Israel at the time. And with prostitutes and with the dregs of society, Jesus would often mingle and spend time with them. Because they were the sick. They were those in need of a savior. And so he called on them. Come, have a better life, have eternal life. And so the gospel promise through this text that we see that I want you to feel is the fact that Christ is the one who gives it to you. You don't earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation, but Christ gives it. I give you rest. And then our only response to that, what do you do? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The only burden, if you even want to call it that, as a Christian, is that you simply live a better life for him. That you simply, and, and this all comes from a place of desire as well. It's not forced. If you believe in a thankful heart, you desire to do what's right. You desire to follow his word better. And it's a lifelong process. You're never going to perfect it while you're here. But you take upon his yoke and you learn. And you grow. The moment you become a born again, brand new believer, you're not going to suddenly have it all down. You're not, you're not going to know this entire Bible right away. Although I've known people, especially some uh, who've told me when they were spending a night or two in prison, they read a good bulk of this thing, thinking about their life and what they're doing. Um, I've known people who are new believers who have studied just like endless hours and knew this thing within a year's time better than some people have learned in a lifetime. But you're never going to be perfect this side of heaven. That's not the point. The point is God wants to save your soul and he wants to help you grow and to live a better life here and to live an eternal life in heaven with him. And so that is our gospel response. And Jesus uses adjectives to describe what it's like to follow him. He's gentle and lowly in heart. His burden is easy and light. It truly is a joy to follow Jesus Christ. And I can, I can read to you the Bible all day long, but I want to share with you just from my own heart, from my own life, my own experience. 
I have tried to live in this world and I've tried to pursue worldly philosophies and ideas and morals and ethics and things that people suggest that are extra biblical or not in the Bible. And I can tell you from my own experience, none of them compare. None of them hit home. None of them are truly filled with joy like the gospel is. I have tried to follow the world and it just does not work. It always ends in disappointment. But following Christ, I have never been disappointed. Even when things don't go my way or the way I might expect them to go, God has never disappointed me. He has never let me down thus far. And I don't believe he ever will. It is a good, good thing to follow Christ. And some of you might think, yeah, but I don't want to get rid of my favorite vice, which I, I suspect I might have to if I follow Christ. That's a common thing. And I can tell you there's a lot of misconceptions about some of these things. And I'll, I'll just use one as an example. Uh, some people get the idea that you have to completely get rid of alcohol. Like you, you can't touch it. You need to be a teetotaler. Throw all your alcohol away. Pour it all out. And, and maybe for some people who have a serious problem, that might be true. But the Bible Nowhere says that you have to completely abstain from alcohol, but rather, when you drink it, drink it responsibly. That you don't drink it in excess. You enjoy a nice glass of wine with your steak. You enjoy a nice beer with your tacos. But that when you hit that point where the brain starts to get a little fuzzy, you stop. And we all know our limits, don't we? We know our limits. I know how much I can drink before it gets to that point. So it's simply being responsible. And there's a lot of things like that that people have misconceptions about. Where they think, well, I, I completely have to get rid of this. No, you just have to do it the right way. Responsibly, biblically. But there are some things that God does completely call you to come out of. And I think in our heart of hearts, we know that those things are not good for us, not good for our family, not good for anybody, but rather we indulge out of our selfishness. And so I just want to encourage you, you're not forfeiting a good life to follow Christ, but rather you are entering into a better life. And I can guarantee you that I have seen people completely broken who thought their way of life was the only way of life or the best way of life. But then they came to Christ, they started living according to his word, and they were suddenly free. Their spirit was set free. And so I want to encourage you today, that if that's you, if you're living in brokenness, to come to him, to follow him, and to receive that gift of salvation. And if you've done that, the only next obvious step is baptism, which I'm excited to report here this morning that there are a handful of those around us who have made the decision to follow Jesus to leave their old life behind, and to live for him for the rest of their life. When you become a believer, the first response in your act of obedience is to be baptized. A couple weeks ago, I gave a sermon on baptism. Again, you can go back and look at all of that. But essentially, the Bible says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Great Commission of Christ tells us to go out 
to the nations, to preach the gospel, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them all that Christ has taught the disciples and taught us. And so here we are today. Here we are on this Sunday, carrying out this same great commission. And it truly is a great joy. And so, if uh, we have talked before today, and you have made the decision to follow Christ and be baptized, I want to invite you to come on up and join me over by the baptismal. And if, if God has touched your heart this morning, if you have decided to receive his gospel call and to follow him, I'm not going to stop you from coming and being baptized, but I would encourage you to make sure that it's legitimate, that it's truly within your heart, especially um, if it's with a little one. Because a lot of times kids can just get real excited that, oh, there's water, and there's people going in the water. I want to do that. So especially with kids, we need to make sure that uh, parents, that you're engaged with them, you're talking with them. Um, ideally, we'd like to discuss it with them throughout the week. But if you're a grown adult, you know. You know where you're at. You know if you're legitimately giving your life to Christ right now. And if that's true, I want to invite you to come and be baptized today. So would those uh, four people, five people, come on up and join me. And if you're a family member or you just want to gather nearby, you're welcome to do that. If you just want to stay where you're at, uh, then do that as well. So let's come together.